Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from Luke 24, 13 through 35. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. They talked and discussed these things with each other. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood, stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in the word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who is going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us what they had that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Clay Utley, the co-pastor of Family Ministries here. So glad to be with you this morning to open up God's word together. Today we'll be talking about unmet expectations on the road to Emmaus. So I invite you, if you want to Grab your Bible and open it up to Luke 24. We might, uh, might ask you to take a look at a few things as we continue on through our journey uh, through this text this morning. Expectation versus reality. We have all experienced this, the fact that our expectations often don't line up with the reality of our lives, the thing you wanted to happen versus the thing that actually happened what you think you look like versus what you actually look like. For example, the burger you ordered at that fast food restaurant looks pretty good in the advertisement. Expectation, reality. 
look, it's a little sloppy. Well then, what about this one? That mustache you grew for Movember, or that mustache you grew in the 1980s. This is what you think you looked like, expectation. Reality, this is what your mustache actually looked like. Sorry to break it to you, cruel reality. Or the family photo shoot for the Christmas card, full of hopes and dreams to impress your mother-in-law. Expectation, reality. (laughs) The kids just don't cooperate on those photo shoots, do they? Or this one, your first apartment in Seattle after you graduate from SPU. (laughs) Expectation, reality. With the coffee table from grandma's house and that couch you found on the side of the road. Oh, wait, go back, go back, go back to the last one. Expectation, what you can get for $3,000 a month in Seattle. Reality, what you can actually get for $3,000 a month, right? We can relate to this. Or there's marriage. Expectations versus reality. I wanna tell you the story of a newlywed couple. Let's call them... Clay and Heather. (laughs) They've been married a few weeks, and it's the morning after their first night in their new apartment. Heather wakes up chipper and excited, ready to meet the day. Clay is still sleeping. Heather wants to actually interact with Clay before she leaves for work, so she elbows him awake. Clay rolls out of bed and heads into the kitchen or the living room to grab breakfast or something, and Heather begins to get ready. She thinks about all of her expectations for the morning, this first morning they have in their new apartment together. She thinks about the meaningful conversations they'll have, the breakfast that they will share together. She thinks about maybe they'll, they'll pray together or do their morning devotions together. And maybe, in fact, Clay is cooking her a nice breakfast right now. So after she finishes getting ready, she walks into the kitchen and she's struck by two things. The first is that the box of cereal is missing. And the second is that she hears the sound of gunfire coming from the television in the living room. Heather turns the corner and looks and there is Clay sitting on the couch in his pajamas, scratching his belly, eating dry cereal straight from the box with his hand while playing video games. And Clay, clueless as ever, says something to his new wife like, oh, hey, honey, how's it going? You want some cereal? I uh, just wanted to kill a few bad guys before I went into work. And at that moment, Heather burst into tears. Truly, she did. (laughs) And... At that moment, the expectation of what she hoped for in her marriage versus the reality, they were two completely different things. Uh, Her expectations and dreams for marriage, I feel like, were shattered that morning. And to this day, she still occasionally jokes to me uh, in regards to us getting married, you tricked me. (laughs) She does say that. So we can relate. We all have these times in our life where there are 
unmet expectations. And, and a lot of times these stories can be funny or humorous, but sometimes they're not. Sometimes the reality of our lives is anything but humorous. Because unmet expectations can be devastating. Unmet expectations can be the death of a dream. Maybe you've spent your whole life dreaming of having a child. You have the name all picked out. Years and years of expectantly waiting for a baby. And then you come face to face with the reality of infertility or pregnancy loss. Or you go to school to get a degree to pursue the career of your dreams, four years of undergrad, maybe some grad school, and then you get the job. But after a few years, you realize the only thing this job is giving you is anxiety and regret that you chose this career path. Or retirement. Maybe you've spent your life daydreaming about your retirement years, going on adventures with your spouse or your family or your best friends, traveling around the country or the world, only to be faced with the reality of a chronic illness, of cancer, or an unexpected death. And we all know that while unmet expectations can be humorous, they can also be painful, life-altering, heartbreaking, They can change the course of a life. And this morning, I invite you to hold your stories of loss and unmet expectations in your heart as we look at Luke chapter 24. Because I see the story of the journey to Emmaus in Luke 24 as a story of unmet expectations, of loss, of a dream that has died. And to understand this story, we need to figure out why these disciples are leaving Jerusalem on the day of Jesus' resurrection. Did you catch that? They're going to Emmaus, a city outside of Jerusalem, on the day of the resurrection, even after hearing reports of an empty tomb. And they travel to Emmaus, which is possibly their home, or possibly just a place to escape from the chaos of Jerusalem. And so we have to ask ourselves, why did they leave I think it's because their dream had died. N.T. Wright says this, most first century Jews believed that the exile was not really over. Yes, they had come back from Babylon geographically, but the pagans were still on top. First Persia, then Greece, then Syria, and now Rome. Israel still needed redeeming. Jesus' followers had thought that the ending of the exile was going to happen with Jesus, and clearly, it had not. See, these disciples were hoping for a military revolt. They were not expecting a crucified Messiah. These disciples were hoping that with God on their side, they would lead a rebellion that would overthrow the Romans. But instead, the prophet that they were following died on a cross and was buried. Their dream had died. See, the the crucifixion of Jesus was the complete devastation of their hope. It meant that the exile was still continuing and that the pagans were still on top ruling the world. And we need to understand this to truly understand the Emmaus story. 
So we know the why. They left Jerusalem because their dream of the end of the exile had died. But where are they going? Where is Emmaus? And truly, we don't know where Emmaus is. Luke says that the journey to Emmaus was a distance of around 60 stadia, um, which calculated into miles round trip is about seven miles. So Emmaus was probably about three and a half miles from Jerusalem. Now, scholars have been spending centuries and centuries trying to pinpoint the exact location of that city, but they haven't been able to. There's a few sites that they think could probably be Emmaus, but you know what? I don't really care. I don't care that they haven't discovered the exact location of Emmaus because for me, I feel like we all have an Emmaus in our lives, a place that we are going to escape. Emmaus is the place that we go to escape. Uh, Frederick Beekner says this, Emmaus is the place we go in order to escape. Whatever we do or wherever we go to make ourselves forget that the world holds nothing sacred, that even the wisest and the bravest and the loveliest decay and die. It's the place we go to escape the pain of reality. Beekner says it could be a bar, it could be a hobby, it could even be going to church. We all have an Emmaus. It's the thing we do to help us cope and escape our pain and loss. For me, it's my cell phone, right? How many of us, that's it? That's the thing. We pick up our cell phone, we check the internet, we scan the news feed on Facebook. We do that to escape the pain of reality, to check out. I remember a few years ago, I've got a six-year-old, but when he was about four years old, every time he faced disappointment, he would cry out for the iPad. It was like the iPad was the solution to all of his problems. But for others of us, maybe it's your job. Maybe it's cable news. Maybe alcohol or drugs are the Emmaus that you escape to. I think pornography and hookup culture sex is becoming the Emmaus of an entire generation, the place to go and escape life and escape the pain. But in this story, let's be very clear about this. Emmaus is not the place that God wants these disciples to be. God wants these disciples to be back on mission in Jerusalem. If Jesus wanted these disciples to stay in Emmaus, he would have just let them stay there. But instead, he gave them a new set of eyes when he visited them. And I think the same thing applies to us. The places that we go to escape are most often not holy places, not places full of God. They are places whose purpose is to help us forget and numb the pain. So I invite you in your mind to name your Emmaus. I think it's important for us to name the place that we go to escape. So the dream has died. That's why they left Jerusalem. And the where is they're headed to Emmaus to escape. But now who are these disciples? Who are these two people? We don't even know one of their names. Well, we know they're not part of the 12 because at the end of the story, it says they go back 
to Jerusalem and rejoin the 11. So who are these people? Well, probably they were part of the 70, the 70 disciples that Jesus sent out to do ministry in Luke chapter 10. But we only know one of their names, Cleopas. Now we don't know much about Cleopas. Perhaps Cleopas is the same person that's mentioned in John 19.25. This is what John 19.25 says. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, spelled a little bit differently, and Mary Magdalene. Well, that's kind of confusing. Three Marys at the cross, one of whom is the wife of Clopas, who's possibly Jesus' aunt. And scholars, some think that Clopas in John and Cleopas in Luke are the same person. Possible, but we don't know for sure. But who's this other disciple? This disciple that's so unimportant that their name has been lost in the annals of time. Well, we don't have much to go on. And as I'm, I'm reading through uh, all of these uh, commentaries and scholars from throughout the centuries, I, I, I found some interesting things. The ancient church fathers, um, like in the first few centuries after Jesus, they all thought that this second disciple was Simeon, the son of Clopas, who was the second bishop of Jerusalem. Okay. Then you move on to the reformers like Calvin and Luther, Luther, and they have consensus that this unknown disciple is Luke, the author of the gospel, a first-person witness to this story. And then you have modern scholars like N.T. Wright saying, you know, I think this unnamed disciple is, is probably uh, Clopas or Cleopas's wife, talked about in John who was there at the cross. But the thing is, we don't know. We don't know who this unknown person is, and I think that's okay. I actually like it, because what I learned from this is that Jesus chooses to visit ordinary people in ordinary places in their ordinary life experiences. These are not the most important, the most well-known of the disciples, one whose is the name we don't even know but they are so important to Jesus that he visits them. And that is good news for me, and that is good news for you, because Jesus has shown that he draws near to ordinary people in ordinary places. Now, the risen Lord meets us on the road to our Emmauses, In the ordinary places and experiences of our lives, Jesus meets us in the places which we retreat to when life is too much for us. And because we don't know the name of this second disciple, it helps me enter into the story and more fully understand that when I am hurting, I am confused. When I am grieving, my Savior Jesus is willing to pay me a visit and bring hope and healing. But this Emmaus Road story also presents an even more challenging truth. When Jesus does show up to visit us, will we even recognize him? Because these disciples did not. So they've left Jerusalem, they're heading to to Emmaus, and they leave the movement of Jesus behind. And as they are walking down the road to Emmaus, a stranger overhears their conversation. 
Now, in the first century, when Jews were traveling back and forth from Jerusalem to other places, it was not uncommon for fellow Jews, even if they were strangers, to strike up conversations and join together, sharing their company on their travels. So when Jesus overhears what they're saying, he asks them what they are talking about. And can you imagine? Jesus overhears them talking about his own death and their interpretation of it. And he says something like, oh, what, what, are, what are you guys discussing? It sounds very interesting. And then uh, one of the disciples is like, oh, you're telling me you haven't heard? And Jesus is like, heard what? And they're like, oh, it's been the craziest weekend in Jerusalem. There was this prophet. We thought he was the one. But instead, he was arrested and killed. And, and all our hopes and dreams have been smashed. And then, and then the tomb is empty. And these women, they're saying that, that the angels told them that Jesus is alive. I mean, I imagine they're just they're frantic. They, they have no idea what to believe. And then Jesus does something. Jesus offers to them a new set of eyes. He offers to them a new set of eyes. And I believe that he wants to give us a new set of eyes as well. Because you see, what he does is he reframes the story for them. He walks them through the law and the prophets to show them that he is truly the one that they had been waiting for. These disciples were so sure that they knew how God was going to work, but they didn't. In fact, N.T. Wright says it like this. Can we have that next quote up there? Aha, there it is. The response from the stranger is to tell the story differently. That stranger is Jesus. To tell the story differently and to show that within the historical precedents, the prophetic promises, and the psalmist's prayers, that there lay a constant theme and pattern to which they had hitherto been blind. Wright is saying, Jesus tells the story differently to give them a new set of eyes. Augustine says it like this, that the disciples lost hope because Jesus died on the cross. What they didn't know was that the only reason that they would be able to have hope is if Jesus died on that cross. Jesus wants to give them and us a new set of eyes. A fresh set to see how God is working in our lives and in our world. With our old eyes, it, we just, it just won't cut it. With our old eyes, we can't even see Jesus when he is right in front of us. I remember when I was a junior in high school, uh, I went on a cruise with my family. Some of you might have heard me tell the story before. I went on a cruise with my family, and it was amazing. Uh, it was so much fun. And uh, I'm, I'm 16, 17 years old, and on this cruise, I get a cruise ship girlfriend. Um, I, I meet someone, and, and, and we, we become romantic and spend the, the cruise together hanging out. Uh, and it was great. I, I would tell you her name, but I don't remember. Um, it was a very meaningful relationship, obviously. But my father took me aside and he said, Clay, look, um, I, I, I need you to make an agreement with me, a commitment, that if you're, as you're hanging out with this lovely young lady on the cruise ship, that you will not go into her uh, cabin, her, her room on the cruise, and she won't go into your cabin, and you will not go into her cabin. 
And I gave my father a thumbs up and I said, yes, dad, I can commit to that. Well, one, uh, a couple days later on the cruise, my cruise ship girlfriend has forgot her little cruise ship ID that gets you the free Coca-Cola. And so she's like, hey, I gotta go back to my room. Uh, will you come with me? And I'm like, sure, I will wait in the hall and you can go in and find it. So she's digging around in her room. She can't find it. She's like, come in and help me find this thing so we can just get out and go have fun. And I'm like, fine, we gotta get this done quick. So I run in there, we're digging around. We find the, the ID. No funny business goes on in the room. And we open up the door to walk out into the hallway and who literally runs into me? My father. On a cruise ship of 3,000 people, my father literally runs into me in the hallway and I'm thinking to myself, I'm dead. This is it, my life is over. If my father doesn't kill me in this moment, I will die of the shame for what he says in front of my cruise ship girlfriend. <laughs> but instead, my, this is how my father responded. Oh, sorry, he just kept going. <laughs> I'm sitting there in shock thinking, what in the world just happened? Now seriously, I'm my father's only son. He only has two kids. I'm the only son. And he literally bumped into me in the hallway doing the one thing he told me not to do and didn't even recognize me. Now, I feel like this is what's going on with these disciples on the road to Emmaus. I feel like this is what's going on in our walk with Christ. Sometimes Jesus is walking beside us offering us a new set of eyes, offering to bring comfort and hope to the difficulties and the challenges that we have in our life and we don't even recognize Christ is there. Now the Emmaus story comes to a close as the travelers reach their destination, the town of Emmaus. Emmaus might be the home of these disciples, but it might just be an inn. And they invite this stranger to break bread with them. And here in the breaking of the bread, Jesus takes the lead. And it says that as he broke the bread, his true identity was revealed to his disciples. Can we get that next slide? Yes, Jesus was just like Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible. He pulled off his mask, no he didn't, to reveal his true identity. But really, Jesus in the breaking of the bread, his identity as the Christ that he is risen is revealed to these disciples. And the text says, as soon as they realize it's him, he disappears. And the two disciples with their new set of eyes immediately leave Emmaus, hope restored, and return to Jerusalem to join the other followers of Jesus. Christ reveals himself to the disciples through the breaking of the bread. The connection to the Lord's Supper is inescapable. That Christ appears and reveals himself in the breaking of the bread. And as we prepare to share in the Lord's Supper together, I want you to prepare your hearts to meet Jesus. I want you to ask, I want all of us to ask for a new set of eyes. Because Christ promises us that he is present when we break the bread and drink the cup to remember him. And during this time of communion that we will share together, this meal that we will share together, I invite you to think about a few simple questions. If Jesus visited you this morning, what story from your life would you tell him? If Jesus visited you this morning, what story would you tell him? Where are you hurting? 
Where would you say you have been escaping to? This morning, I want you to know that Jesus loves you very much, and just like he drew close to the ordinary people on that road to Emmaus, he draws near to us this morning. And I believe he has the power to give each of us a new set of eyes when we break the bread with him. And I'll close with another short quote from Frederick Buechner from his book, Secrets in the Dark. He says this, I believe that although the two disciples did not recognize Jesus, Jesus recognized them. That he saw them as if they were the only two people in the world. And I believe that he also sees each of us like that. Whether we recognize him or not, again and again, Jesus comes and walks with us along whatever road we're following. And I believe that through something that happens to us or something we see or somebody we know, Jesus offers us the bread of life, a new hope, a new vision of light and life that not even the dark of this world can overcome. Let's pray together.